really this is the story of two bobs, uh, a Mediterranean <laughs> island, a bunch of dummies filled with cocaine, and the spinach-loving sailor man who uh, ruined them both and took down their seemingly indestructible careers. Previously on Texas Twiggy. Shelly, you know, she said sure. And then when she told my parents the next day, they, of course, kind of freaked out because they thought it was maybe some porn films or something like that. You know, they were totally skeptical and going, no, you know, what, what do they want you in the movie for? Now, this story has been told and retold. I don't know how many paintings she sold. Altman himself called them unremarkable. But he and his crew, under the guise of setting up a meeting with art patrons in the area, told Shelley they were interested, and the rest is history. I know that because it was the first one I ever had, and I thought, what the fuck is this? And it, was, it, it wasn't a donut or anything like that. It was a bagel, and I had never had a bagel before, you know, a hard bagel. And she said, oh, you're going to love them. So we're having- Her next Altman film in 1980 was Popeye, in which she played olive oil in a casting that fit just so well, and not just because she looked so much like Olive that it was her nickname in high school. And Popeye, oh man, Popeye is a doozy. Welcome to episode three of Texas Twiggy, a podcast about Shelley Duvall. I'm Emma Lehman, a longtime Shelley admirer and the producer and narrator of this podcast. Today, we talk about the absolute insanity that was Popeye the movie, directed by Robert Altman, produced by Robert Evans, and starring Shelley Duvall and Robin Williams. We'll be quoting heavily from a wonderful indie podcast called What Went Wrong with Lizzie Bassett and Chris Winterbauer. Of course, their info will be in the show notes. Go check out their amazing podcast, which covers, as you might guess, what went wrong on the sets and production of famous and infamous films throughout the decades. I'll also be paraphrasing from Bob Evans' autobiography. Today, Popeye, which, as you heard at the top, involves the double Bobs, to whom we will be referring as Cocaine Bob and Regular Bob, for reasons that will become clear soon, and also purely because I think that's better than Altman and Evans. It also involves an impressive amount of cocaine stuffed inside some body doubles and former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. You don't like spinach? I hate it. Eat this spinach. Popeye was one of two films Shelley completed in 1980, the second being, of course, The Shining. The Shining is an event within itself, deserving of a couple episodes, which it will get. Worry not. The disaster that was the production of Popeye is twofold, and each part is related to a Bob. We have Bob Altman, director, also known in this episode as Regular Bob, with his absolutely asinine overspending and overcreating and overbuilding and honestly just overdoing of this film and its set. Then we have Bob Evans, known in the industry as Cocaine Evans, the producer of this film and the provider of mountains and mountains and mountains of cocaine to the cast and crew. So the trouble begins when regular Bob, ever the skeptic of any kind of oversight of his work, such as that which might come from Paramount Pictures back in Hollywood, 
decides to take production of his new film, Popeye, to the Mediterranean archipelago of Malta. If you've never heard of Malta, that would be because it's literally just a giant rock a bit off the coast of Italy, north of Libya. It was not, and still is not, a destination for anything. The pitch was this. Malta had reasonable weather, especially for this time of year. They needed to have a winter shoot to accommodate Robin Williams' TV schedule. Second, Malta had a saltwater tank for shooting miniatures, built to attract filmmakers, but also entirely pointless for this particular film, as nothing was filmed with miniatures. The real reason that regular Bob wanted to shoot here is that he figured Malta would be the best way to get away from the oversight of Hollywood production companies and directors, whose insistence on adhering to things like budgets and production schedules cramped his style. Shelley Duvall, to me, was olive oil. Nice looking room. Gilda Radner was the first person who was kind of thought about it at Paramount. And uh, I met with Gilda, and she would have been good. But to me, Shelley was olive oil. I mean, she just had all of those qualities. I wanted Shelley for it. And Paramount people, Charlie Bluthorn, who was the head of that company, and a guy named Don Simpson, they came over, and Simpson, he had no connection with this project other than he was active at Paramount. And he didn't want to use Shelley Duvall. And I, I just, at that moment, I said, this is who I'm using in the film, or, or I'm not doing the film. Of course, she was the best thing in the film. She was perfect. So Bob trucks the entire cast and crew to this relatively remote island, built a whole set out of imported lumber because Malta, being a giant rock in the middle of the sea, literally didn't have wood. Here's Alex Logan, a producer at IMDb, talking about Altman's insane specifications and wildly over-budget set creation ventures. Um, Malta is essentially just a rock in the sea. Uh, but they they did have a big saltwater tank that the country had built to try to get more films to come shoot there. Hmm. Um, and they said they could use it for miniatures. I don't think they did any miniatures in this movie uh, that would have would have needed that. But really, they needed to accommodate a winter shoot because Robin Williams was shooting TV for the rest of the year and Malta supposedly had the right climate. They supervised a 165-person construction crew from June to December 1979. They built 19 structures, and they're all full, real structures. They're not just false fronts. It was a hotel, a schoolhouse, a post office, a church, a sawmill, a tavern, a casino, as well as gangways, boardwalks, sheds, and timber shoots. All of it worked. That's right. The set was fully functional, not like the sets you may have seen at Universal Studios, where you walk into the front of the building and it's just a front held up by lumber and sandbags. Hundreds of logs, thousands of wooden planks were trucked from the Netherlands across Europe to Italy, then shipped to Malta. Eight tons of nails, 2,000 gallons of paint were used. They had to build a 250-foot breakwater so Sweet Haven wouldn't be washed out to sea as they oh were finishing it. I just Popeye's Malta Village was real. Way to do this. The set looked nope. great. I will say it looked <laughs> nope, great. Nope. It looked like a Wes Anderson movie. Absolutely, it felt and very tactile. Tactile indeed. From purchasing, constructing, and sinking real seaworthy ships to building, and this is just so crazy to me an entire production suite, village, above the village at Malta, Bob went all out. And much to the dismay of his producers, too. He went way over budget, surprise, surprise, by the time the set was fully built. 
so far over budget, in fact, that the building of the set itself took $13 million, which is quite a bit when your budget for the entire production, from start to finish, is $13 million. Now this was sort of par for the course with regular Bob. If you remember from Three Women, he's prone to not only directing entire films with barely the outline of a script, but also to shooting in the middle of nowhere and to building functional towns in the name of set dressing. But for Cocaine Bob, Popeye was kind of a death knell. Bob Evans was known as this sort of golden boy producer around this time, with a seemingly indestructible career that could only go up. The question has often been asked, what makes Robert Evans go? Someone replied, taste, instinct, and the ability to impose his taste on you and get you to do things his way without your feeling emasculated in the least. He's not arbitrary. You can talk to him. He'll admit he's wrong and change his mind if he is. He has enormous ability in the editing stage, in all the stages of post-production. He's able to sit in a room and tell you, not in a lot of words, that the scene doesn't work, and he's able to tell you why. He is the man who said, I'd rather conduct a symphony than play an instrument. We'll be right back with Robert Evans. But Popeye killed, buried, and nailed shut the coffin of Cocaine Bob, who wouldn't quite emerge from its dust until the early 2000s, when he produced his next successful film. But Cocaine Bob was largely responsible for what I think is the immaculate casting of this film. Of Shelley's Olive Oil, he writes, quote, For Popeye's girlfriend, Olive Oil, Altman wanted Looney. The studio wanted Loopy. Looney was Shelley Duvall, the airhead heroine of Altman's Thieves Like Us and Three Women. Shelley's next film was Stanley Kubrick's The Shining with Jack Nicholson. I saw it. I lied, telling Diller and Eisner that Duvall would be the big screen's next Lucille Ball. It was the best white lie I ever told. Till the sun never rises, I'll look upon Shelley's olive oil as a classic. Now, I don't think Shelley is loony, per se, or at least I think that is a more nuanced conversation unrelated to Popeye and for a later episode. But she makes a great olive, and not just because of the physical similarities. Shelley lamented in many a publicity interview for this movie that she was called olive oil as a child. In our first interview, her brother Shane remembered her dislike for the moniker. Yeah, and we used to call her, you know, as when we were kids, you know, we, we'd call her olive, you know, linking her, you know, to olive oil, you know, as a joke. And of course, she despised that. But uh, it was ironic that later on, she ended up playing the role and enjoyed it. She did like the role, as it turns out even if the production was a crazy, cocaine-fueled, scriptless romp. She tells Roger Ebert, quote, It was a real treat for me to play Olive Oil. I loved her. Now don't laugh, I've never before been allowed to play a woman of any strength, of depth. And although Olive Oil is a cartoon character, I think she does have depth. All of the other characters I've played in the movies, to me, they never really broke the surface. But Olive Oil is 101% woman. She's not Popeye's girlfriend. I see her as a real femme fatale. Anyways, Cocaine Bob was called onto the set as it became clear that regular Bob was running the project into the ground. He was throwing booze-fueled dailies, which is the word for when actors huddle around to watch that day's tape, 
and also just absolutely destroying everyone's nasal canals with thousands of dollars worth of cocaine. So what does Cocaine Bob do? Here's where you learn why he is called Cocaine Bob, and that would be because Cocaine Bob loved him some cocaine. When he's called to the set, Bob Evans heads to Malta with his steamer trunks. Now, it's important that you understand what a steamer trunk is, because I didn't when I first read this. It's not just a suitcase or even just a travel trunk, but a latch closure piece of equipment like a mini freight container. If you've ever seen a cartoon pirate with a chest full of booty, it's like a double-decker version of that chest. These things have drawers. Yeah, he brings his steamer trunk full of kilos and kilos of cocaine. And then his steamer trunks go missing, so Cocaine Bob is stuck on this rock in the middle of the ocean without his rocks. So, as one does, Cocaine Bob goes to the Maltese Prime Minister and asks for help finding his personal luggage. Except, he emphasizes to the PM, you cannot look inside the trunks when you find them. The PM is obviously like, that's not how anything works, so Cocaine Bob curries his favor by attesting to the existence of a letter to the PM from former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. The Prime Minister is understandably pretty surprised by this, because he was not necessarily a friend to the United States, and because Henry Kissinger is not known for his unprompted complimentary letters. So then Cocaine Bob has to go to Henry Kissinger, who's actually a pretty good friend of his. Evans actually has an autobiography, which is also a movie, called The Kid Stays in the Picture. Dude had a crazy interesting life. He has been both the toast of this town and he's been an outcast in Hollywood. The legendary producer who made superstars and crashed and burned. A movie-making life few people have led, but it didn't come easy. It was the beginning of his and he tells Kissinger, look, the only way to save this movie is for you to write a backdated letter to the Prime Minister of Malta. You know, the guy who recently talked smack about the U.S. and who also sides with Gaddafi. Just telling him that he's a great dude. Because, of course... This letter did not actually exist when he used it to persuade the PM to help him find his trunks full of drugs. And Kissinger does it. I tried my damnedest to find a copy or a photo of this letter, but as far as I can tell, no such thing exists. So poor Shelley, whose brothers told me she's never touched a drug, was surrounded by this coked-up cast and crew, budgetary and scripting disputes, and all of this right after The Shining, one of, if not the, most traumatic experience of her life. In that 1980 interview with Roger Ebert, she says, That was such a physical ordeal, making Popeye, especially compared to a picture like Three Women, which was shot in six weeks in Palm Springs. For Popeye, I spent two months jammed down that ship's funnel, screaming my full head off. All of Bob Altman's pictures are like working with family, but for Popeye, there were a lot of Italians who didn't speak the language, and we were off there in Malta. Jules Pfeiffer, who wrote the screenplay, actually stayed for two consecutive months before he couldn't take it anymore and went back to New York for A Night at Elaine's. Popeye was the last film that Shelley did with Bob, sort of the end of the road for her museship with the director. Stewart remembers their relationship as having been really important to Shelley. You know, she had a lot of fun working with Robert Altman. You know, once he discovered her, she became like his muse in a way, you know, for like four or five movies or they had a great, they had a great relationship. She, she was really, really, she was really hurt by his, his loss. But he didn't die until 2006, many, many years after Popeye. For whatever reason, Shelley and Bob ended here. 
This could have something to do with the fact that Bob really took a hit from this movie. Now, it ended up grossing $60 million worldwide, about $200 million in 2021 money, so it seems like everyone involved got out okay, even after accounting for the ridiculously over-budget production. But regular Bob's career, just like Cocaine Bob's, was badly injured. His production company, Lionsgate, again, not Lionsgate, Lionsgate, had to be sold off item by item down to the office chairs. Hi there, it's me, Emma. I hope you've been enjoying Texas Twiggy. If you have, consider supporting the show on Patreon. A lot of research goes into this show, most of which never even makes it conspicuously into an episode. For example, well into my digging for this episode, I found the address of the old Lion's Gate. In a fit of journalistic thoroughness, I drove over there, not really sure what I was expecting. It's office buildings and a little French restaurant now. So, not really relevant. But in order to do fruitful research, you have to slog through some fruitless research. And for that, you often need gas money. So head over to patreon.com slash texastwiggy to support the research for this show, both important and otherwise. A few good things, though, came out of the production of Popeye. Some people will say that the film Popeye was one of them, but I don't think I would go that far. The first is Shelley's relationship with Robin Williams. I don't mean romantic relationship, of course, but Shelley and Robin were friends long before Popeye. Stu tells me that Robin, Christopher Reeves, and Stan Wilson were roommates at Juilliard. Robin, you know, of course, was Popeye. And, uh, you know, and obviously he had been a good friend of hers for a while. And uh, she had met him out uh, in L.A. through friends. And um, she knew him also through Christopher Reeves because Robin Williams, Christopher Reeve and Stanley Wilson, Shelley's boyfriend, were roommates at Juilliard. And uh, so Shelley knew Christopher Reeve real well. That's he was also in one of our fairy tales. Uh, I knew Christopher and I knew Chris, I got to meet them many, 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 many times and hang out with them and some stories, which I can't tell you. He never did tell me these stories, though I can guess at some of them. Shane, too, told me stories of his outings with Robin, which included a night of drinking and smoking and hours and hours of what Shane described as, and I more than believe to have been, knowing what I know about Robin, completely fresh and never repeated comedy. Robin came here after he had done Popeye and everything, and he came here to Houston to do a stand-up show, but uh, he came to do a show there. And so Shelly had him call me and invite me to the uh, to a show and all that, and he got me front row seat, you know, right up there, and so it was real good and everything. And then afterwards, he called me backstage, and uh, he asked me to take him out for the evening, he, he said, he said, yeah, he says, what's your do around Houston? You know, let's go somewhere. And so we, uh, so I, you know, he left with me from, from there after it was all over, after doing a two hour stand-up comedy show there. And we went and had a, had a drink at a little bar on, on West Gray. And then he, and then Robin asked me, he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, uh, he says, is there any comedy 
clubs around here, you know, or anything. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, there's one right around the corner, and there was an old laugh stop uh, right around the corner. I took him there, and we, you know, kind of tried to sneak in into the back, you know, and and went up and sat down up top, you know, and the guy that was on stage doing his skit, he, he finally, he just stops, and he goes, he goes, I'm sorry, but he says, I can't, I can't even do my, do my comedy, you know, because we've got a guest here that's just taking my breath away, you know, or something like that. Robin got up there and did another hour oh of, of comedy and didn't do one, he didn't say one joke that I had heard in the two-hour show downtown. I mean, he did, he, it was all new stuff, you know, and I was amazed. But we had fun. We stayed there till you know, three in the morning, you know, after hours, drinking and partying and all that. But, uh, yeah, it was fun. I asked if Robin's death had a big effect on Shelley. Shane paused for a few seconds and said they never really talked about it. Shelly's, Shelly never has been good with, like, funerals and stuff. She doesn't like going to funerals, wouldn't go to my dad's or, you know, she didn't go to my mom's, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, and that's just her. You know, yeah. it, you know. On the Patreon this week, there are a few photos of Shelly and Robin. Their smiles together look so genuine, and I can only imagine how hilarious they would be to hang out with. Shelley even cast Robin as the titular character in the first episode of her own show, something I cannot wait to cover. The second good thing to come out of Popeye is just that, which we will come back to a little later down the line. Shelley's debut as producer and the beginning of an era, nay, eras, fairy tale theater. Next episode, we'll be diving into The Shining, arguably Shelley's most famous role and inarguably her most traumatic. Just be careful if you ask about the shining, because she said that's what happened to her. First, though, an update on my letters. Three have bounced. We have one with an address that doesn't exist, one with an address at which the letter couldn't be delivered, and one that just says return to sender and looks like it's been through hell to get back to me. So that leaves seven possible addresses for Shelley. Five if you get rid of the two I sent reaching out to old production company addresses, Four, if you don't count the one that looks like an empty lot when you look at the street view on Google Maps. The whole letter idea was a reasonable one, but I think I'm realizing that there might be a more efficient way. And that is the magic of Facebook. Shelley has three brothers, Scott, Stuart, and Shane. Unfortunately for me, there are a lot of Scots, Stuarts, and Shanes in these great United States, but I know a few identifying details from a few interviews and articles that led me to what I can cautiously identify as the right Shane. In his profile picture, he stands with his arms crossed and a big grin on his face in front of a sunflower field. I can see the resemblance. Next time on Texas Twiggy. Okay, I want you to imagine your worst breakup. That one that was just especially tasteless. Maybe your ex dropped you over text or a particularly cruel phone call. Maybe you were ghosted. Now, what did you do after that breakup? More than likely, you spent a day or two moping around, cried to your friends, and then tried your best to move on. I'll bet you one thing, though. I'll bet that you didn't board a flight to the most demanding job of your career 
and then proceed to cry on demand dozens of times every day for an entire year, and then, for decades and decades after that, be told that you cried wrong. And I sure as hell bet that you weren't broken up with for a mutual friend. Texas Twiggy is reported, narrated, and produced by me, Emma Lehman. Our music is created and mixed by Olivia Springberg. Our research consultant is Sarah Lukowski. Special thanks to Avery Erskine for transcribing interviews, giving notes on endless drafts, and proofreading scripts. Special thanks to Lizzie Bassett and Chris Winterbauer for letting me sample What Went Wrong, which is seriously a great show. Again, their info will be linked in the show notes, and I encourage you to check them out. They did a great episode on the horror that was the film Cats, and even one on The Shining, if your thirst for Shelley-related information is insatiable, even after this podcast is over. Thank you to my patrons, Ken Lehman, Xavier Hamill, Kelly Alasser, Jose Armenta, Kavid Dacity, Dan Travis, Sharon, Sarah Elizabeth, and Sophia Polito. Join me next week, and don't forget to rate and review the show on your podcast player. And tell a friend. Maybe three?